You may open your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 1, the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, as we look into the Word of God for a few minutes to consider further the great subject of truth. This morning we saw enough to know that we ought to give thanks for the truth that has been shown us, that we ought to pray for more, that we ought to seek for more. And that we ought to defend what we have. And we just want to see that a little further tonight. There are many false concepts of truth and how it's found. Some think truth is a result of situational ethics. Whatever a situation calls for, that's appropriate truth. Some think it's relatively personal. Whatever a person thinks is right is right for them. Some think truth is found in sincerity, that whatever truth, whatever a person truly believes, that makes it truth to them. Some think truth is found in knowledge, but only knowledge proven by the Word of God is truth. Amen. Some think truth is based in popularity. Whatever the majority of men hold, that must be the truth. Oh, the truth has never been held by the majority. Right. It's only been held by a very small minority in the history of the world, according to the Word of God. Some think truth is determined by antiquity. Whatever previous generations believe, that must be the truth. No, David said, meditating upon thy word makes me wiser than the ancients. Some think truth is found in education. Whatever the most educated men believe is the truth. That can't be true, because this morning the Lord Jesus Christ said that God had hid these things from the wise and prudent, and revealed them unto babes. Some think truth is to be found in personality. Charming and powerful men must hold the truth. God's never used those kind of men. He chose rather illiterate fishermen to be his apostles. Some think truth is to be found in feelings. That the truth is just going to feel right to you. And these persons measure truth by what feels right. But God never gave us feelings to judge truth. He gave us the Word of God. Your feelings go up and down like a yo-yo. And we need the Word of God to keep our feelings in line. And to keep our thinking in line. The truth is certain. It is not vague and it doesn't change and it's not wavering. It's not weak, it's certain. Let's read a few verses to see how it's described in the Word of God. First four verses of the Gospel of Luke. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Theophilus was a friend of Luke, and Luke was writing him to tell him an eyewitness account of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing what Jesus Christ had done while he was on earth. Notice the powerful terminology used in these four verses about a declaration of things most surely believed among us, based on eyewitness reports from a perfect understanding of all things 
that thou mightest know the certainty. Truth is certain. It's not vague. It's not I think or it might be. It's certain. And we want to treat truth just that way because that's how the Bible tells us to treat it. Truth is the opposite of lies, and a lie cannot be part of the truth. There is no lie part of the truth. Let's think of the first truth given to our first father in the Garden of Eden. The words were, Thou shalt surely die. Now that's simple enough, isn't it? Thou shalt surely die. He allowed the devil to communicate with his wife, and the words were, Ye shall not surely die. Now there's only one word of difference in there. Thou shalt surely die, and ye shall not surely die. But one word made all the difference in the world, didn't it? Amen. One word made it a lie and overturned the truth as far as Adam and Eve were concerned. And we saw all the consequences that were mentioned this morning. Look in your Bibles at 2 Timothy 2.18. Truth and lies don't have any mixture at all. They stand in opposition to each other. And when you pursue a lie then you leave the truth because you can't have them both at the same time. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul is warning Timothy about two men who had received a heresy. They're named in verses, verse 17, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And verse 18 tells us, who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Truth and departing from the gospel and the word of God as it's been presented to us is a departure from the truth. You cannot hold the truth and depart from the word of God. When you depart from the word of God, then you have erred from the truth and you overthrow the faith of people because the faith of God's elect is trusting in the truth and you overthrow that faith. When you depart from Scripture, the gospel record is plain. The resurrection had not occurred yet. And you know, I'm not going to chase this rabbit. I'm tired from the ones this morning. I'm not going to chase one tonight, but there's a whole group of people called preterists today who believe the resurrection is past again. It's a revival of a heresy here taught from Hymenaeus and Philetus. And by saying the resurrection is past already, the preterists say that the resurrection occurred in 70 A.D. And there is no more resurrection, not for anyone, including you. But that's another heresy for another time. When you believe anything that is contrary to the word of God, you have erred from the truth. And you will overthrow the faith of God's elect that are looking for the truth. And that faith will be waylaid. Look at 1 John chapter 4. How do we know what is truth and what is error? I'm thankful when the Bible gives us plain answers. 1 John chapter 4. The last sentence in verse 6 says this. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Did you know that you can measure the spirits? And it's easy to measure a spirit and it certainly isn't by feeling. It certainly isn't by activity. It certainly isn't by getting slain in the Spirit. It's going to tell us right now what it is to measure the Spirit, whether it's the Spirit of truth or the Spirit of error. Let's start at verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. 
So we are told to try the spirits. That means to put them to a test to determine if they're of God or if they're a false spirit from the devil. Now remember, the Apostle Paul warned us about another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. But let's go back to 1 John 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. That was a heresy they were dealing with then. This test today is not very valuable because it wasn't written to us directly. Remember that Jesus Christ had just come in the days of the New Testament and many said that Jesus of Nazareth was not the Son of God. He was not God in the flesh. And so that was a very simple point of doctrinal truth that you could measure men by to tell what spirit they were of. If we run into someone that denies that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh yet, we would know they're not of God. But that is rare in our day. That was common in that day because they didn't admit that Jesus of Nazareth had come in the flesh as the Son of God. Let's keep reading. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. In verse 2, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world... Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The trial of a spirit is whether they will hear the apostolic religion or not. Whether they will hear the apostles or not. We are of God. The apostles were all of God. They spoke as the representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there was a spirit that didn't match up and agree with that teaching of the apostles, the apostolic faith once delivered to the saints, then you could know that it was a lying spirit and a spirit of error, not a spirit of truth. We measure all spirits by the word of God. We don't measure the word of God by spirits. There are many people that do that. Well, the spirit told me, no, we study the word of God. Paul didn't tell Timothy, sit around and ask the Spirit to help you figure out the Word of God. He told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. It's by study. Paul told Timothy, give thyself holy. Now what does holy mean? A little bit of time? All the time. Give thyself holy to reading. Say, well, that sounds awfully boring. Give thyself wholly to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And that is how men arrive at the truth, is from the Word of God. God has given us a written manual. His truth is in writing. It's better than any document you've ever held in your hands, no matter how many lawyers signed it. This is signed by the God of heaven with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and written by the Holy Spirit of God. And we learn it by studying it and reading it. And that's how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We do not go around waiting for feelings. We do not go around waiting for leadings. 
We look into the Bible and find out what God has told us. Thus saith the Lord. That is the identity of truth. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's look in our Bibles at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Remember from this morning, they will not endure sound doctrine. They want anything else, but they don't want to be confined to the Word of God. Because Satan has tried to move men away from the Word of God from the beginning. When he said, ye shall not surely die. And he's doing it again today in Christian circles, where they no longer want to endure sound doctrine. They want to be entertained. They want fables. They want stories. They want feelings. They don't want the Word of God. We are going to stick to the Word of God. We are Bible Baptists. We are Bible Christians. And we're going to be men of truth and women of truth. And we're going to have families based on the Word of God. God has told us in writing what He wants us to believe, what He wants us to do, and what He's done for us. And any voice that we would ever hear at any time is always inferior to the Bible. Always. That's why Peter said, even after describing hearing God's voice from heaven with Jesus as a witness, and Moses and Elijah as witnesses, and James and John as witnesses, and it was thundering so great they fell flat on their faces. That is a pretty dramatic speaking of the Lord to Peter. Peter said, this is more sure. And so we believe that. We trust that. Because as soon as I were to tell you a spirit told me something, how are you going to prove me right or wrong except by taking me back to that book And showing what you just said doesn't match up with Scripture. That can't be the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will never say anything against the Word of God because the Spirit of God wrote the Word of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And we have it in writing. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 is a very simple verse. Listen to it. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. That is the Bible admonition for us. Don't feel all things. Prove all things. We're to prove them and hold fast that which is good. And how do we prove it? We can find that in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Paul said, prove all things. He didn't say believe all things. He didn't say accept all things. He didn't say tolerate all things that sound okay. He said, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. What about everything that's not good? Blow it out the back door. Sweep it out. Prove all things and hold fast that which is good and get rid of everything else. Acts chapter 17 tells us about some noble people in the Bible. Nobility. Do you want to be noble? Noble men and noble women love the Word of God and measure everything by the Word of God. I want to remind you about something about Paul. There is no one alive today that even comes close to the Apostle Paul in his apostolic signs and wonders that he had. Paul had them all. He was an apostle. There have been no apostles since the Apostle Paul because an apostle had to be an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul was an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, Last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. 
Paul was the greatest apostle. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul was the last apostle. He had all the gifts. He had gifts so great that he could have handkerchiefs that would heal anyone that was sick. It didn't partially heal them. It didn't take a week to heal them. And it never failed. And he never asked a dollar for his hanky. Never. He gave his handkerchiefs and they always healed. Now, Paul had that kind of power. The Bible tells us about that. That's Acts chapter 19. But we're at Acts 17. Notice what godly people do that know and understand truth and how it's proven. The Apostle Paul could raise the dead. He could speak in any language. He could interpret any gift of tongues. He could cast out devils. And it didn't take him a while to do it. He always succeeded. He never failed. And they were always documented by the Spirit of God. Not by a television camera. That is no documentation. Listen to this in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Let's get 10 because the Apostle Paul left the city of Thessalonica and came to the city of Berea. Let's get verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And here's how they were more noble. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Amen. amen and amen. They knew how to prove all things. They proved all things by the Word of God. Now, they received Paul's preaching with a ready mind. They wanted to hear Scripture taught. They wanted to hear the Word of God. They wanted to hear the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were ready. They were eager. They listened. They weren't sitting there objecting. They were listening. But as they listened, they then went home and made it a daily effort to search the Scriptures to see if Paul was telling the truth. The Apostle Paul, he had more gifts than all men today combined because he was an apostle. He had all the apostolic sign gifts, revelatory gifts, gifts of any sort. But still, even though they would have seen him exercising the power that the Spirit had given him, they still measured him by the Word of God because that's how we must measure men. There is no other way to measure men or we get deceived and waylaid by the devil. We must trust the Word of God. God in the beginning said, Thou shalt surely die. If they had written that down and posted that in the refrigerator and put it in the bathroom and put it in the bedroom and kept that little reminder, they wouldn't have been waylaid by the devil. Because that was the Word of God. They should have stuck with the Word of God. And it doesn't matter even if Paul was to preach something different than the Scriptures. Do you know what Paul said you were to do if he ever preached against the Scriptures? Let me be accursed. It doesn't matter what gifts I have. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It doesn't matter what power I have. Listen, Judas had as much power as the Apostle Paul. Don't you understand that? Judas had all the gifts that Paul did. How do I know that? Because when Jesus said, one of you shall betray me, they didn't all eleven turn and say, that's you, buddy, because you ain't got any gifts. They didn't say that. James and, and Peter said, is it I, Lord? They had no idea it was Judas, because Judas was loaded with apostolic gifts. Because they don't prove anything. 
What proves something is do you preach according to the Word of God? That's what counts. And so the Apostle Paul was measured even by the Bereans. Did he preach according to the Scriptures? Let's look at that again. Verse 11. You never want to forget this verse. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Those were diligent people proving all things. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And we're told how they did it. They measured everything by the Scriptures of God. Because we have a written revelation, and that is the criterion, singular, of whether it is truth or error. That's why we trust the Bible, believe the Bible, read the Bible, memorize the Bible. God gave us this book to save us from error. God gave us this book to save us from apostles that would ever preach a lie. And that's why Paul said, if I or an angel from heaven preach anything to you that I have not preached to you, let him be accursed. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. This is why we're Bible Christians. We are going to stick to the Bible and let it interpret things and guide things and prove things for us. Look at Isaiah 30. We need to keep moving. But men don't like this approach. Men didn't like this approach in the past. They don't like it in the present. Think about what happened to Eve. When Eve was there in the Garden of Eden, the first problem was her husband didn't protect her. Second problem was she left the Word of God and started feeling about Satan's suggestion. She looked at the fruit, and what does the Bible tell us? It looked like it would taste good. It looked good to her eyes. It appeared that it would satisfy her taste, which is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And the more she looked at it, you know what? That's that's a good sermon Satan just preached to me. That's a good sermon because that fruit looks like it would make me to be to know the difference between good and evil like God has. See, she, she thought. She felt. She considered what he was saying. When the whole thing should have been blown away with the Word of God. Thou shalt surely die. But as soon as you take your eyes off the Word of God, well, it can't be all that bad. Then the devil whispers to you, he's trying to hide from you a secret. And that is, if you'll eat that fruit, you can be as wise as he is. Oh, really? So you start feeling and looking and lusting. And the pride of life gets involved. And we are, we are at a greater disadvantage than Eve was. Eve didn't even have a sinful nature like we have. Do you know what her problem was? It was leaving the Word of God. From the beginning, the devil has done that. We must stick to Scripture. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8. Isaiah 30, verse 8. Now go. The Lord speaking to Isaiah, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. I like that verse. That's where we got our Bible from. God said, go write it in a book so that it can last forever. I want it in writing. I don't want it conveyed by oral tradition. I want it in a book. That it may be to come for the time forever and ever. Here's what was to go in the book. That this is a rebellious people. His own people. The Jews. This is a rebellious people. Lying children. Children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Which say to the seers, those are the preachers, to simplify it for you, 
See not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. This is exactly what we have today in Christian circles. This is exactly the same as 2 Timothy chapter 4, where it says they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, they'll turn away from the truth unto fables. Notice, these people, these lying, rebellious congregation, the church of Israel, told the prophets, don't give us right things. We are tired of sound doctrine. We don't want truth. We want to be entertained. Give us some smooth things. Go ahead and prophesy anything that will make us feel good. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Don't stay in the way of righteousness where God called you and put you. Turn aside out of the path that He put you in and cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We're tired of holiness. We're tired of holy living. We're tired of always having to be right. We're tired of having to follow the the narrow path and go through the straight gate that leads to heaven. We're tired of that restriction. Give us something comfortable. Give us something smooth. Come on. We're sick of that. That's what they said in the church of the Old Testament. And that's what they're saying in the church of the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We want to have a drama team tonight. We just want to have a lock-in in the church gymnasium. They don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore. They don't want to hear the Word of God. Truth is being rejected by the church. Come over to John chapter 14. It's nothing new. I've given you three points in time, and I hope you saw that. In the Garden of Eden, they left the Word of God to look at a tree. In the book of Isaiah, they said, get away from us right things. We want smooth things. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, no more sound doctrine. We're tired of the truth. We're tired of doctrine. It's too boring. I can't stand it anymore. Give us some entertainment. And there goes most churches in the 21st century, right down that path that the Apostle Paul told us by prophecy. Let me go to another point. It's amazing how many emphasize the Spirit when the Spirit wrote the Bible, and the Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. But do you know how we find what the Spirit of Truth believes and what the Spirit of Truth wants us to believe? By reading the book written by the Spirit of Truth. John 14, verse 17, even the Spirit of truth. John 14, 17, He's called the Spirit of truth. 15, and verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I shall send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of Me. John 16, verse 13, Howbeit when He 
the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth. Now John 14, 15, and 16 are not chapters that we're to take and apply to ourselves directly and fully because those three chapters were given at the Last Supper to the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth and they would write down all truth for us to have. And that is how truth was conveyed to us. We don't all wander around with apostolic gifts of able to, uh, with the ability to write New Testament epistles. They've been written once for all by the blessing of the Spirit of Truth. Amen. And we measure the Spirit of Truth not by feelings, not by visible demonstrations of anything, because if anyone ever had them, Paul had them. What we measure the Spirit of Truth by is this right here, the Word of God. Because the Spirit of Truth will never ever contradict not the least sentence Bible, no matter how good you might feel, no matter how powerful a person might appear, the Holy Spirit will never contradict that book. So why waste your time with something that's very deceitful? Stick to the Word of God. And that's how you walk in the Spirit, because this is the book that the Spirit wrote. If you walk and live and breathe and believe the Word of God, you are walking in the Spirit, because this is what the Spirit wrote for us. Men despise the truth and try to turn you away from it by various ridiculing and sarcastic statements. I've heard some of these in my short life. If you say you have the truth, then that means you're condemning everyone else to be a heretic. Well, now that you put it that way, I think you're right. I think you're right. Because, remember from this morning, it's either truth or it's not truth. If it's not truth, it's heresy. If it's heresy, it's a lie. If it's a heresy, if it's heresy and a lie, then you're a heretic. We didn't make you become a heretic. You did. You left the Word of God. We're sorry. We'll help you get back into the way of righteousness. Do you want to sit down and study the Bible again? It's not that we hate anyone. We just love the truth. God told us to make that division. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. After the first and second admonition... A man that teaches anything contrary to the Word of God is to be rejected because Titus chapter 3, 10 and 11 tell us he's a heretic and he's condemned himself. We didn't condemn him. He condemned himself because he didn't want to follow Scripture. I've heard that one. If you say you have the truth, then you're certainly in a small, lonely minority. Yes, that's true too. Yes, we're in a small, lonely minority. And the truth has always been a small, lonely minority. Back there in Isaiah, when Isaiah was describing these people that wanted smooth things from the prophets rather than right things, and he was followed by Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was followed by Ezekiel, when those men preached, how many thousands attended their megachurch? None. What did God tell them when they were called to the ministry? No one's going to believe you. But go ahead and preach anyway, because it's still the truth. Go lay the truth on my people. They're not going to believe you. I expect you to have a forehead of flint and not to look at their faces nor be moved by them. The truth has always been held by a small minority. And we should never forget that. When the world speaks well of you, what does the Bible say? Beware, because they spoke well of false prophets in the past. The world never speaks well of men that hold the truth. Look what the world did to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what the world did to the Apostle Paul. 
Look what the world did to every preacher we can read about in the New Testament or the Old. They were persecuted and driven and hounded by men, fed to wild animals, burned at the stake, and fed in a coliseum to lions. The world has never been friendly. It's never been a majority. It's always been a minority. And may God give us the courage never to worry because we're small. If you say you have the truth, how can you be absolutely certain it is the truth? Well, dear friend, that would say that to us. We're reading the Bible the best we can. We're studying it as we're told to study it. We're asking God to give us light in it. And we're asking Him if there's something we don't see to reveal it to us and we will change. That's why we believe it's God's truth. And until He shows us otherwise, we believe we have the truth. What else should a person believe? Do you want me to believe that I don't have the truth so that I'll sound humble in your opinion? Because they say to us, if you say that you have the truth, how can you be certain it's the truth? Because it's the Word of God. We trust the written revelation of God. If you say you have the truth, are you denying that you've ever changed your position? Oh, no. We'll be happy to change. That's how we arrive to the truth. Because we're willing to change and follow the truth. It's people that won't change that don't end up in the truth because God should be revealing more and more truth to you so that you can see things that you ought to change. If you say you have the truth, what are you saying of all other great teachers? I don't know what you mean by great teacher. The only kind of teacher I know is one who sticks to the Word of God. We're not judging any man. Every man shall bear his own burden, and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take care of every teacher. We're not passing a judgment on them personally. We're passing a judgment that they're not teaching the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul said that if even he were to come in here, or an angel from heaven, and preach anything different than the New Testament, we're to curse him. That's all we're trying to do is practice the Bible. If you say you have the truth, what are you saying of other good men and women? I don't know what you mean by good men and women. There's lots that say they are good, but a faithful man, who can find, the Bible says. Now, there are many good men and good women that are not taught the Word of God. And because they're not taught, they end up in an error. That's why Paul told Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. That is, taking heed to yourself and the doctrine, for in so doing thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. If there are good men and good women in a church where the pastor does not study diligently, does not take care of himself, does not take care of the doctrine, what will happen to those people? They will be lost, not to hell. They will lose the blessing of knowing the amount of truth they could have had if they would have had a faithful pastor. And Paul told that. In 1 Timothy 4.16. Truth is rare, brethren. Truth is very rare. The Lord Jesus Christ said, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. That doesn't sound like it's in a whole lot of megachurches everywhere. It sounds like it's very rare. And we want to remember that. Look at Amos chapter 8. There's so many verses here that we could turn to. Because the truth has always been rare in the earth. It's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. It's like treasure. And when we see it, and we ought, we ought to be seeking it. When we hear it, we, ought, we, want to hear, we want to hear more of it. We want to study it. We want to keep it. We don't want to lose any of it because it's a treasure. 
Let's turn to Amos chapter 8. This is a description of how rare it is. And though this was written 1,500 years ago, it sure does, 2,500 years ago, it sure does apply to us today. Verse 11 of Amos 8. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. I will send a famine in the land, saith the Lord. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Because God will send a famine for the words of God, because the people of God have turned their their ears away from the hearing of the word of God, so God takes it away from them. That was 2,500 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke in parables to hide the truth from the multitudes in Israel and reveal it only to his disciples. Same principle. Because they refused to hear the word of the Lord that had been given them, he cut them off from any more. You know what Jesus said? To him that hath shall be given. And from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he thinketh or seemeth to have. When men turn their ears against hearing sound doctrine, the truth of God's word, God will take away from them even the little bit of understanding they thought they had. And those that will hear, he'll give them more. And he'll give them more. And so he said, take heed therefore how ye hear at the end of the parable of the sower. Take heed. How ye hear. Because from him that hath not shall be taken away that which he seemeth to have. And to him that hath shall be given more. What a great blessing. That's how truth works. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Because the poor in this case are those that turn their ears away from the truth. And the rich are those who love it. They're given more. Truth is not a right. It's a gift of grace. Truth is not a right. It's a privilege. Truth is not an achievement. It's a blessing. Truth is not a discovery. It's a gift. Truth is not by education. It's by revelation. It is not that man is intellectually incapable of truth. We believe in the total depravity of man. But that does not mean that man is intellectually incapable of truth. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us that all men hold the truth in unrighteousness. They can look up and know there's a God. It is not that we are intellectually, as men, incapable of truth. We are morally incompatible with truth. We don't want it. We hear it and we reject it. We understand it and we despise it. That's what the Bible tells us. We're emotionally resistant to truth. Truth isn't a matter of intelligence. It's not a matter of diligence or luck or any other natural basis. It's by gracious revelation God gives it to us. And what a great blessing that is. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul describes his ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. 
Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is what the Apostle Paul did. It is a gift of grace. See, it says in verses 3 and 4, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Remember? They have a lie in their right hand they can't let go. They, they don't consider that they're worshiping a piece of stone. They don't consider that they're worshiping Mary when the New Testament gives her no preeminence over other women. They can't consider all that because they're held in the bondage of Satan. And we saw this morning that that is only relieved and you are only delivered if God, peradventure, give you repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Otherwise, you're lost. And there's no help. But God that said, let there be light in Genesis chapter 1 said to each of us, let there be light, and He shined the glory of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts. Amen. That is how we get it. It is by revelation, and it's a gift by grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. The Apostle Peter once made a grand statement to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ told him where that statement came from. Because if you read about Peter before and after that statement, it didn't come from his understanding. It was a revelation from heaven. Matthew 16. Jesus Christ has asked in verse 13, Matthew 16:13, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they suggested several alternatives. But then in verse 16 we read this. We read this. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Couldn't have been said better, could it have been? Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. You are blessed, Simon. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That is how you'll ever recognize Jesus Christ as being the Son of God, the Father in Heaven will have to open up your understanding for you to recognize Him. Do you remember what we read a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Pilate and Herod would not have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ if they had known who He was. They could not figure out who He was because God did not reveal that to them. But Peter had it revealed to him right here. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. Now, I'm going to test your memories. Do you remember this morning, Matthew 11:25, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, you've hid these things from the wise and prudent. Verse 26, even so it seemed good in thy sight. 
Verse 27, No man knoweth the Son save the Father, and he to whomsoever the Father will reveal him. That's where it comes from. Truth is a revelation from heaven. It's a revelation from God. You are loved to be in here tonight and to love the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe the Bible. It's a gift from heaven to you. Proverbs 23, 23. Proverbs 23, 23. Look at what Solomon said to his son. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. To buy the truth, you have to pay a price. What kind of a price do you have to pay to buy the truth? you got to give some time to learn the truth. Because you got to take some time to read the Bible. You've got to separate yourself from all the activities of your life that will keep you from reading and studying the Bible. That's Proverbs 18.1. Right. A man that seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom separateth himself so that he can apply himself to the pursuit of wisdom. How do you buy truth? It says, buy the truth. You have to pay a price. That means you have to give up some things that are dear to you. You have to give up some of your time. You have to separate yourself and get away from the, from the noise and the clatter of life in order to read the Word of God. You need to separate yourself from friends that are foolish. You need to separate yourself and pray. You need to separate yourself and get good instruction from teachers that God has sent. You need to study and search for the truth. So there's a price to pay. And you know, I'm, bring, I'm coming to a con- conclusion tonight. Are you willing to pay that price? How important is truth to you? Remember from this morning, what if we live one day believing a lie? But what if we waste our whole lives believing a lie? God has blessed us with the truth. Let's learn it. Let's hide it in our hearts. Let's get it in our lips. All together fit it in there so that we can give an answer with the certain words of truth. Is what Proverbs 22 says. That is the goal for every one of us. So that we can answer the certain words of truth to those that ask us. Right. Proverbs 22, 17 through 21. Same as 1 Peter 3, 15. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks the reason of the hope that is within you. Amen. Do you love the truth enough to do that? Here Solomon says, buy the truth. And then sell it not. Because there are going to be offers made to you to get the truth away from you. There are going to be things coming up in your life. You may have to lose some friendships because you're going to stand with the truth. And do you know what Solomon said? Don't sell it. Even if someone's trying to get you to leave that truth, do not leave it. Hold on to the truth and don't sell it. Even though they may say, well, we can't be friends if you're going to believe that way. Oh, brethren, yes, that's how it's done. Buy the truth and then don't sell it once you get it. Don't give it up for any price. Don't sell it for comfort, for peace, for friends, for balance, or for anything else in your life. You want to stand for the truth. If you make light of truth or disregard it, God is able and God will send you a lie. What was the name of the king who didn't like the one prophet of God that he had? And so God sent him a lying spirit to go into his prophets so that he would hear lies all the time. Ahab. 1 Kings 22, 2 Chronicles 18 tells all about that. 
How about Ezekiel chapter 14? If you approach the God of heaven with idols in your heart, if you have something in your heart where you said, I'm going to protect that, I just believe that's the way it is. I don't care what the Bible says. Oh, never say that. I don't care what the Bible says. I believe that. that. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way I've always done it. I've seen good results from that method. I felt comfortable with that. I could feel that it was right. I don't care what the Bible says. If you come with an idol in your heart, what does God say He's going to do? God said He's going to give the prophet that you go to approach a lie, and He's going to mislead you. That is Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 9. I think that is totally fair. I don't think there's any unrighteousness in that at all. If you say, I don't care what the Bible says, then God's going to give you a lie to believe, just like He did Ahab. This is the Word of the Lord. This is what God said. If you turn your ear to against His truth, He will send you a lie. He does not owe any man the truth. Truth is a privilege by grace. And we want to be thankful for it. We want to bless His name for it. We want to be faithful to it. We want to learn it. We want to hold it. We want to submit to it. We want to defend it. We want to be like Jacob. What did, how did Jacob pray? I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth that thou hast shown me. Genesis 32.10 I am not worthy of all the truth that thou hast shown me. I want to tell you something right now. Every one of you in here knows more truth than Jacob did. Jacob was not an ignoramus, but he did not know the details of the new covenant. He didn't even know the details of the old covenant because he was before Moses. He got visions of angels coming up and down ladders. We have a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God, having taken the book of the everlasting covenant out of the Father's hand, sitting on the throne and ripping the seals off it. And in that book is your name and my name, because that's the book of life and every benefit that he has given to the heirs of eternal life. We are greatly blessed. Are you ready to defend the truth? Jude wrote us that little epistle in the third verse. He said that we are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Truth doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. The fullness of the gospel was given before 70 A.D. in the 27 books of the New Testament. That is the faith once delivered to the saints. It's not still being delivered today. It was delivered a long time ago and put in writing. Are you ready to earnestly contend for it? To contend for something is to fight for it. When you're reading the Bible about a contentious man or a contentious woman, what does it say about them? They like to fight. They like to strive. And so when the Bible tells us to earnestly contend, it means to fight for the truth. And when it says to do it earnestly, that means to put some passion and zeal into it. We need to defend the truth because we're living in a generation when men are opposed to the truth. The church is said in 1 Timothy 3.15 to be the pillar and ground of the truth. We are the foundation for the truth of God in the earth. Truth is maintained in little tiny buildings like this where there are a few dedicated people that love the God of heaven, that serve the Lord Jesus Christ, that believe the Bible and will stand for it. That is how truth is defended and preserved in the earth. That is how it is upheld. That is the foundation. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. We are sending that truth out as far as we can to everyone that will look on the internet. We are there. We are trying our best to be a preserving effect on the truth 
and to support it. And that's what we want to continue to be. And I hope that you're all committed with me. Oh, but brethren, as I, my final remarks here, we need to obey the truth. Can you think of a group of people in the Bible that had this? And they took delight in the fact that they had the scriptures, but they did not obey them. It was the Jews. And Paul in Romans chapter 2 said, Thou that makest thy boast in the law of God, do not let it ever be said of us that we boast about the word of God, but then we do not live it. God has special judgments for people like that that will boast about this and then live the life of a hypocrite and not live up to this Bible. If we are going to say that this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, if we're going to say every word of God is pure and we're to live by every word of God, then we better be living by every word of God. We better obey the truth. You know, I have preached messages to you and given you a list And it's over 30 occurrences in the New Testament where by your actions you can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You know, the number one emphasis in the New Testament is not handing out tracts. The number one emphasis in the New Testament is living the righteousness of the New Testament and letting people see Jesus Christ in our lives. Are we as faithful as the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we love like the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we gentle and meek like the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we zealots for truth like the Lord Jesus Christ who drove the money changers out of the temple and the disciples looked at it and remembered Psalm 69 by the blessing of the Spirit of God for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Do we have all of that combined in our lives? That's what we need to do or God will take the truth from us. Walking in the truth is more important than saying I have the truth. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. He that saith, I know him, speaking of God, but keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We cannot waste a day of our lives and not read the Bible with pleasure and zeal for the truth of God. We need to learn to give answers to those that ask questions. I'll remind you of a little statistic one more time. A tithe of your time would be two hours and 24 minutes a day. But if you can't give the Lord a tithe of your time, can you give Him 1% of your time? Because 1% of your time would be 14 minutes and 40 seconds. And if you were to dedicate that to the Word of God in prayer every single day, without exception, it would serve you well. We must be thankful for the truth because we read earlier today that we are bound to give thanks always to God for the truth. We should apply it like Job said, the words of his mouth are more important to me than my necessary food. Job 23.12 And we should pray for it. The Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians that the spirit of illumination would teach them the things that they did not yet know. 
and then we should defend it. We should defend it and teach it to our children so that it's perpetuated in our families. I'm going to read to you the words of Hezekiah in a prayer when he begged God for his life, when God sent Isaiah the prophet in to tell him, your curtains, set your house in order, because thou shalt surely die. Listen to these words. Listen to the words of a man begging for his life. The grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. May the Lord bless all the fathers in this assembly and the mothers to teach the truth to their children. And may we have godly family trees that hold the truth that last for many years if the Lord Jesus Christ tarries. Amen. Amen.